Authors Over 50, Writing in Life's Sweetest Third. Authors Over 50's weekly podcast celebrates writers and their journeys to publication. Writing after 50 is a whole story on its own, so let's skip to Life's Sweetest Third and talk with authors about their journey from pen to publish. Welcome, I'm Julia Daly, your host, and I invite you to listen to interviews with writers who've achieved their goal of publishing a book just later in life. We've seen award lists for under 30 or under 40, but I've yet to see lists for those who've achieved a significant milestone of their own, launching a new career and publishing their first book after the age of 50. We will hear about these authors' inspirations, struggles, strategies, and the smell of that first book. These writers' journeys inspire me because I'm one of them. My guest today has lived all her adult life in Savannah, Georgia, where she headed a nationally recognized victim advocacy program in the district attorney's office. Inspired by the resilience of thousands of crime victims and their families, she spearheaded the passage of a dozen pieces of legislation, including the Georgia Crime Victims Bill of Rights and a Crime Victims Compensation Program. Her essay, From High Heels to Hot Wheels, reveals how she unexpectedly became a first-time mom at 52 when her husband's two-year-old grandson came to live with them. She enjoys devouring chocolate chip cookies, practicing yoga, and reading obituaries. Welcome to Authors Over 50, Helen Bradley. Well, thank you. I'm so glad to to join you today. Helen, our opening question on Authors Over 50 is always, what took you so long to write your first (laughs) book? Well, I don't think I knew that I wanted to write a book for a long time. Right out of college, I was a journalist at a daily newspaper for a short while. And then I had a long career in crime victim advocacy, as you mentioned, where I worked in the district attorney's office, and I loved it. So I certainly um, did some writing. I did some essays, and I was in a writing group for a while and did, you know, some magazine articles or essays, all nonfiction. So it wasn't till I um, left the district attorney's office at a young age, 52 to be exact, that I... um, started volunteering with a program called DEEP. And DEEP is a program where volunteers mentor middle school students in their writing. And those young people truly inspired me. They told their stories and I decided I wanted to tell my story. So, and then it took me a long time to write the book after I decided I wanted wanted to do it. Well, once you did write that manuscript, how did you proceed? Did you search for an agent, decide to choose a hybrid, a small press, or did you self-publish? I looked for a short time for an agent, but as you know, that is extremely difficult um, to find an agent these days. And I was fortunate enough to find a small publisher who um, accepted my manuscript and wanted to publish it. So that was really exciting. So I have a a traditional publisher, um, you know, not one of the big ones, but a very small publisher. 
I love my small publisher. I love the micro presses. I I think we get so much more personal attention. You know, when you're with one of the big five, they still require all of their authors to do all of their own publicity. And sometimes you can get lost in the shuffle or so I've heard. Right. Well, I'm just was certainly glad to, to get it out into the world because I didn't know how I was going to do that. What do you think is the most challenging part of your artistic process? Like I say, I had done short essays and magazine articles and written grants for my program. So it was very challenging for me to do a huge piece. Um, so it was the organization of the, the novel that was complicated. Um, but I was very blessed to have a wonderful writing critique group. Um, these three other women are dynamos. They're smart. They're supportive. And they also kept me accountable because I can be lazy sometimes and put off writing, procrastinate big time. So it was just a challenge to figure out how to get these stories organized in a reasonable fashion. But my writing group really helped me. They said, Helen, first of all, you don't have to organize it, just write. So I would write a scene or I would write a chapter. And then um, after that, with the help of my writing group, we figured out how to assemble it. So it became a novel. So that was that was a challenge for me was figuring out how to do a longer piece like a novel. But I have learned a lot by going to, you know, workshops and by doing online events. So that's been helpful. I was like you. I had written speeches for college presidents and mm -hmm. lots of publicity and marketing in my day jobs. But, you know, fiction is a whole different animal. So we, I think we do have to learn how to write fiction. Absolutely. What was your inspiration for your stories? Well, it was inspired by true events, as is often the case with a novel. It is certainly fiction, but the first pe thing people in Savannah want to know is how much of this is true. So um, the truth of the matter is I was the director of a crime victim assistance program in our local district attorney's office, and one of my young male employees accused our boss, the district attorney, of sexual harassment. I wrote that uh, for a writing group, an essay about that years ago, and they were fascinated and wanted to know more and said, please, please tell us more. Some of that had been in the news um, and in the media, but then I knew I, I had to fictionalize it. So I made up a whole lot of stuff and it's certainly fictionalized, but it is inspired by a very difficult time that I went through in my career and one that caused me to retire at a very early age because I was put in a very bad situation. Well, your subject is certainly a timely issue in today's society. So it should it should be something that we all want to read and to to more fully understand what's happening in, in all of these situations. Yeah, there's hardly a, a day that goes by that we don't read about sexual harassment in the media. I mean, of course, that's a topic that was not discussed for a long time. It was swept under the rug. Um, the Me Too movement came about. Um, so it is out in the open more. But I think it's 
still really difficult for crime victims. And my novel has a lot to do with the obstacles that crime victims go through um, after reporting a crime. This book has um, inspired a lot of women to realize that they are not the only ones that have been through something difficult. And in the novel, there's um, domestic violence victim. And then, of course, there's a young man who was a sexual harassment victim. So it's about the journey that they go through and that very difficult journey. Well, you have certainly increased everyone's knowledge about these subjects and and been so uh, proactive in all of the legislation that you have helped to be passed in, in Georgia. So thank you so much for that. Thank you. It was a, um, an exciting time to be able to work on making changes to help crime victims and to make sure they're not forgotten and that they're included as a part of the, of the justice system. So it was a, it was a wonderful career. And now I'm happy that I'm writing something totally different. Yes. And, and you've certainly used real people to inspire your characters as I did as well. I, mm-hmm. I had um, a thread of my own memoir running through my first book, but I didn't want to make it a, a memoir because a lot of those people were still alive and, and right. some of those stories were not mine to tell. So I wrapped it in fiction yeah. and it makes it uh, easier to, to digest. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, we writers like to write and we don't always like to promote ourselves. Have you found any publicity that's worked for you or maybe something you've tried that hasn't worked? Well, um, my publisher told me right off that I was going to have to do all the marketing. So I actually hired somebody the first um, few months just to get all the social media, you know, Instagram and Facebook and all that a web page set up because that was not my forte. So that was really helpful. Um, and I tell you what's been the most fun is um, visiting book clubs. I absolutely love joining book clubs in person or virtually. I love to hear what readers think. Uh, they have the most interesting and thoughtful questions. And hey, there's usually good food too. So what could be wrong with talking about uh, books with wonderful people while eating good food and drinking wine. So that's that's really been one way to get it out there. Of course, social media. I also have newsletter um, that goes out every couple of months that I connect with people and just let them know what's going on. I also have connected with the arts community here. There are a couple of art galleries that are selling my book, and that's just really cool. As a matter of fact, my book launch was in an art gallery. So it was just delightful to be able to connect with artists and artisans, people that I don't normally connect with. You know, in my career, I was hanging out with with police officers and prosecutors. (laughs) And now it's really fun to hang out not only with writers, but all creative types. And they have been extremely supportive. And what I haven't figured out, maybe some of you all will be able to help me, you know, I I've done a pretty good job locally getting the word out, but I really haven't done a great job yet getting it out nationally. So I'm I'm working on that and people like you help me. Yes, and podcasts can be heard all over the world. So exactly. it does get your ma- message out farther. But Savannah is such a rich city uh, for history and for 
artists and and writers. So you're just immersed in that history there. I am. I love Savannah. It's a wonderful place to live. Well, you mentioned a writing group. Do you have any specific books or seminars or writing retreats or groups that you can share that improved your writing journey? Well, the first um, seminar that I went to was called Broadleaf Writers Association, and that's um, a group of mainly Georgia folks, but I'm sure anyone could join. And they have an annual conference in the Atlanta area. So that was eye-opening and wonderful to me. And I'm lucky enough to live an hour away from Beaufort, South Carolina, where the Pat Conroy Literary Center is. And that is just, oh, a wealth of of information, support, good people. If, If people are ever in the area, I encourage them to visit the Pat Conroy Literary Center. So that's been great. Um, and the weekly critique group, truly, my book would not exist without them. And that's, that is an absolute truth. Like I mentioned, they keep me accountable. We meet every single Wednesday morning and we um, go over the pages that we have turned into each other the week before. They've given me ideas, support, suggestions. They came up with a title, you know, so that's been really helpful. And of course, you know, there are all sorts of online resources available. The Southeastern Writers Association is is one that's really helpful. And online, um, on Facebook, I'm on Writers Helping Writers. And that's been a great resource just to, to bounce ideas off. It's great that you're so close to the Pat Conroy Center because the Pulpwood Queens, the International Pulpwood Queens, raise money for that center every year. And I'm a member of the Pulpwood Queens. Absolutely. The Pulpwood Queens, totally awesome group. I didn't know you remember, but that's that's pretty cool. Yes. They are um, a, quite a different group. They get, they bring a lot of attention to, to authors and have yes. for years and years. Absolutely. Well, Helen, tell us a little bit about the passage you've brought to share today and then read from your book so we can hear your tone and voice. Okay. Well, Anne Gardner is the main character in this book. She is the director of a crime victim assistance program. The passage that I'm going to read today is the gripping scene when her young male employee named Jeffrey comes into her office in the courthouse and has some very disturbing accusations against their boss, the district attorney, um, who was named Harold Carter. Jeffrey has come into Anne's office um, and he has just told her that he does not want to go to a conference in California with their boss because he fears they will have to stay in the same hotel room like they did at a previous conference. So this is sort of the middle of the conversation that Jeffrey is having with his boss, Ann. Um, He says, I told my mama, no way I could go to California with the district attorney. Mama's worried about me. I've been having stomach problems from stress. Jeffrey pauses, then looks at Anne. Do you know how I found out about this job opening here anyway? No. Jeffrey says, Mr. Carter came to our apartment one morning and my brother went to the door. I was asleep because I'd worked the midnight shift at the police department. My brother woke me up and said some dude he thought was from church wanted to see me. 
Anne tries to hide her shock, but she's sure her expression looks like the person in the painting called the scream. He came to your apartment, she asked. Yes, ma'am. Mr. Carter told me he was starting this new program and thought I'd be a good fit. Anne shudders, picturing Jeffrey, maybe in his underwear, having a conversation with the district attorney. Had he ever been to your apartment before, Jeffrey? How did he know where you lived? I asked him that, but I'm not sure what all he said. I was half asleep. The whole visit freaked me out, although I was pumped about the opportunity for the job. He gave me a job application. Really? How did you know Mr. Carter? We go to the same church where I play in the band. I knew he was the district attorney and everything, but I didn't know him personally. I didn't even want to go to church anymore because I don't want to see him. For the next couple of minutes, there's an awkward silence. Anne waits it out just like she does with crime victims. Jeffrey opens his mouth as if to say something, then looks down at the floor. Anne says, anything else you want to tell me, Jeffrey? Yes, ma'am. I missed a meeting yesterday. I'm in trouble, Miss Gardner. Why did you miss the meeting? I'm just so stressed. My mind's not working right. I forgot it. Anne says, things happen, but you can't miss meetings. Try entering them in your phone or whatever helps you remember. Okay, he says, staring at the floor. I got to tell you, ma'am, I'm real uncomfortable around District Attorney Carter. Jeffrey jostles his leg. To be honest, this feels like something that happened to me before. He stops speaking, still looking at the carpet. Tell me more, Jeffrey. <sighs> there was this youth pastor in Ohio who started acting like a father figure, and well, uh, well, he tried to mess with me. Jeffrey bites his lip. I don't want that to happen again, he mumbles. He stands as if the conversation is over, but then sits back down. Anne has heard dozens of victims talk about sexual abuse, but this is different. This is her employee applying that his boss and hers is treating him inappropriately. She thinks, good Lord, I can't believe Jeffrey hasn't resigned. Jeffrey leans forward and looks straight at Anne. I want Mr. Carter to leave me alone. Maybe he thinks he's acting like a mentor or something, but I think it's sexual harassment. The words reverberate in Anne's head. I'm so sorry, Jeffrey. She hesitates before saying, what would you like me to do? I don't know, like I uh, make it stop. What can you do? Anne has no idea what to tell him. I'm not sure, Jeffrey. To be honest, I've never been faced with a situation like this. I'll call human resources. Call, come back in the morning and I'll update you. Thank you, ma'am. He gives her a weak smile before standing and shuffling out. Anne stares out the courthouse window at the big cottony clouds drifting across the sky. When she was a kid, she loved naming the shapes they made, Dumbo the elephant, an angel, or a lion. If only she could return to those carefree days. Oh, Helen, that's just horrifying to think about that situation playing itself out over and over and over across this country and the world. Yes, it is. It's way too common. Did you have to 
complete any research before you began writing or had you just lived these situations so much that you you didn't have to do research about them? I did not do much research. Of course, I did some research about sexual harassment and made sure I was getting some of the facts straight when I quote, you know, some information. Um, but I did not have to do a lot of research. And while this book is about very serious subjects, sexual harassment, political corruption, domestic violence, I must point out there is some humor in this book as well, because Anne is quite a zany character and um, her interactions with her family and her good group of girlfriends um, has some humor in it. So I just wanted to mention that so people won't be totally overwhelmed. Well, you know, life is a juxtaposition. We have to have some humor to lift us out of some of these situations. So I'm sure that that helps in the book. Exactly. I hope so. Do you have any other books in you? Well, I think I do. They have not come out on the page yet. I've been having so much fun this summer and fall going around peddling my book my first book called Breach of Trust that I have not um, started for sure on a second novel, but I've taken some notes and done some brainstorming and hopefully it will not take me as long to write this book. So I, yes, you're going to see a second book from me. I find that the first book helps um, helps us to write more quickly and, <laughs> and you'll be able to outline and get it all down on paper because, you know, I think in that first book, we're learning so much about the process and, and trying to learn how to write fiction that that second book comes more easily. Well, I certainly hope you're right. What does writing success look like to you personally? Writing success is when a few weeks ago I went to a book club and there was a young man there who said, it was a passage in your book that was so poignant, it brought me to tears. And then he said, I'm going to read it out loud. And he read a passage about the, the main character remembering um, when she was a, a little, a little one, a toddler sitting on the back uh, swing in the backyard as her mom fed her strawberries. I came home and I said, you know what? If I don't sell any more books, the fact that this touched somebody. Um, so it's it's being able to touch people. And it's it's being able, you know, I'm, I'm probably not going to be a John Grisham, <laughs> best known author. But my book, I hope, um, makes people think. I hope it makes them laugh. Um, I had an email last week from our local domestic violence shelter saying someone had read my book and she was inspired to then come to the shelter and apply to be a volunteer. Well, that's what it's all about. So making a difference in small ways. I certainly agree. When when I wrote my first book, it was about adoption because I'm an adopted child. Right. And people would reach out to me from all different levels of the adoption community, you know, other, other adoptees, birth parents, uh, adoptive right. parents, and they all just 
told me how much they enjoyed the book and how it made them want to tell their stories that they have been keeping as secrets for so many years. So I think when we hear from people and know that our book is making a difference, even in a small way, or like you said, to one person, that's that's truly success. I think so. I definitely do. And, and you're exactly right when you said your book about adoption made other people want to tell their stories. You know, everyone has a story. And if they tell it in writing or painting or acting, whatever it is, um, we just need to share our stories. It connects us and that's important. It does. And it becomes therapy for us as well. Exactly. Trying to understand ourselves and why things happen to us or why we um, did the things that we did. Exactly. What does your family think about your new career as a writer? Uh, my family has been extremely supportive. Um, you know, my sister has been there every step of the way, particularly when I have technical problems and I don't know what to do on the computer. And, you know, I go screaming to her house and she helps me. My husband's been supportive. Um, we're raising a grandchild. And he's now 15. And of course, his question over the last several years was, Nana, are you ever going to finish that book? <laughs> so I guess he sort of inspired me as well. But yeah, they've been great. And the community, the Savannah community has been unbelievably supportive. I'm just, I'm really overwhelmed by the support. That's really great. And especially for those of us who began later in life, writing in what I call life's sweetest third, it just makes it all <laughs> that sweeter. Well, my book was published two weeks after my 64th birthday. So there's no excuse for anyone who's older to say it's too late. It is never too late. No, my first was at 68. All right. And I Good am interviewing you. people in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, and they're still writing beautiful work. So I think we can do it the rest of our lives. I do, too. I read recently that um, Laura Ingalls Wilder, is that her last name? Yes. Wrote Little House on the Prairie when she was 65. Yes. There are a so, lot of people who didn't start until that age or older. Well, this has been a great visit today. And as always, our last interview question is, our writers over 50 are quite unique. Do you have advice for writers 50 and above? Absolutely. Just do it. Um, find the support you need, whether it's one person, two people, three people. Find a, a couple of writers, maybe a couple of readers that you can chat with. Um, Age Boldly is something that a group called Next Tribe, uh, that's their motto, Age Boldly. So um, don't make excuses. Just do it and be proud that you're um, starting at whatever age you are. So find that network, though. Find those people, young and old, who, who will support you on your journey and make it happen. That's wise advice today, and you made such a difference in your work career, and now you're making a difference to those of us who read your written words. So thank you for sharing with us today, and we're excited to now count you among our authors over 50. 
Thanks so much, Julia. I enjoyed talking with you. Thank you for joining us today. Please look for Authors Over 50 every Thursday when we will have conversations with accomplished debut novelists over the age of 50. Please subscribe and share with a friend. And check out my own publication journey after 50 at www.juliadaily, that's D-A-I-L-Y, like dailynewspaper.com. Until next time, keep reading and writing. And remember, it's never too late to fulfill a dream in life's sweetest third.